Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I've told you, but I don't know what the listeners have heard of my unfortunate beer salesman, Paul. Paul. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. He, um. That will come up in this episode. So, okay, good. (laughs) Um, so just to summarize, uh, Paul, it sucks being Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I always say, if I ran through a field of pussy, I would trip over a dick. That's Paul's life. I fly with soup. Paul would be a fork. He would be a fork. And I love him to death. He's a great guy. And it's just, okay, so here's what happened. We'll start from the beginning. First off, last year or the year before, he he plays for a softball team, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess he plays outfield or something because he went and dove for a ball and then ended up in a little bit of poison oak. That's bad news bears. Even worse, here's a hint. If you have poison oak, don't scratch your balls. Because guess what's happening next? You're spreading it. You're spreading it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had to call off of work. His, his, his boss kind of didn't even believe him. And Paul was like, you mean whip it out and show you? Because it was maybe <laughs> on his balls and inner thighs and shit. And then uh, we had a, uh, like last summer, I believe, we had like really bad storms come through. And his house got hit with a tornado. And then later on he owns he's a beer salesman but he he owns a business it's a landscaping business and he owns a truck and the truck has a trailer the trailer has the big um lawnmowers that like school custodians have they like ride on the ones that you ride on and they don't have a steering wheel they have have levers that yeah yeah. and um it's like zero zero point turn the nice ones he has like two or two or three of them or, or you know whatever he drove he lives out in the country so he was driving at night getting done with a job and a uh, horse that was insured for two hundred fifty thousand dollars that was sta- you know stable. Very nice horse. Uh, I don't know how nice he was. I know he was insured for breeding. He was gonna. Yeah. Be, he, he was. Gonna was be, uh, he was a major stud. He, literally, yeah. They were gonna. They, they were gonna. <laughs> um, I believe they were gonna stud him out. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it. And he escaped the stable, went through the fence, which I found out later. I don't think was latched. Probably not. Ran out in the middle of the street. Uh, just at the right time. Paul swerved to miss him, but the guy in the opposing lane didn't have time. Hit the horse. Horse kind of went sideways, hit Paul. Paul went off the road. It said, hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Boom. (laughs) And yeah, it's hard not to laugh at this because I laughed so much. And it's not, I'm laughing at a dead horse because that's beating a dead horse. Yeah. (laughs) It's. It's, it's just I, I when I hear about it, all of a sudden I laugh at disbelief. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. God damn, Paul! Yeah. So that knocked him four feet off the road into a cornfield. Truck was destroyed, lawn equipment was destroyed, and he fucked up his spine. I didn't see the man for months. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah, and um, so he had a car that he drove around for work for uh, beer, you know, being a beer beer rep and. 
Uh, he was at a grocery store, I think like a Walmart or something like that, and his semi truck backed into his car <laughs> and towed the back of it. I'm sorry, it, Paul. When it did that, it hit the um, concrete post. The front did. Uh-huh. So it turned it side as it turned, it scraped the front fender. And he said, my car looks like a go-kart. And I looked outside. I was like, oh, Paul, it really does. It looks like a go-kart now. Because <laughs> the front and back are just going. Uh-huh. And so with some of the insurance money he got back, he was able to get a new truck for his work. It is a 2019 white Chevy Silverado. Nice. Very nice. He came in to do an order last I'm week. I'm afraid of what you're going to yeah. tell me. <laughs> he came in to order last week. And we took care of everything. And I was like, are you okay? How's it going? He said, Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. He said, um, got to take my truck to the shop. I was like, you just got that truck. Yeah. He said, yeah. I hit a 40-pound dog. What? I said, what? <laughs> this is where I started laughing. I was like, no, you didn't, Paul. No, you didn't. Poor animals. He said, you know, he said, you know what's fucking weird? I said, what? He said, I hit it on the same road. I hit the horse. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, my God, dude, <laughs> for real. it came from the same property? And he said, he said, you know what's even crazier? I said, what? He says, this is the week it happened last year was when I hit the no. horse. No. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I was like, I feel so bad for you. He said, he's like, yeah. He says, it was it was honestly like 40 pounds. He said, it was, he said, believe it or not, it was the size of a goddamn horse. <laughs> He just ripped his fender apart because you know you're going down a country road fast. It's a country road. You don't go slow down them. Yeah. And could you picture going that fast and hitting a forty pound dog Jeez. that takes that your fender's gone? And he said, "You know, he's that's not even the worst part." I was like, "Paul, how is that not the worst part?" He said, "I am standing there trying to figure out what to do with his dog, and I see a whole bunch of kids screaming and crying running toward the street." And I was like, you hit their dog. He's like, I hit their dog. <laughs> oh, my God. So he's, like, he's like on his knees. like He's like crying. He's like, I'm sorry. He just ran out in the road. And the mom is trying to wrangle the kids because the mom, she gives it. She was like, it it was an accident. It's okay. You know, all that stuff is like he got out of the, you know, all that stuff. If you, you know, like send me, send me your bill. We'll, we'll help you. I mean, she was very good about it, but still. You just traumatized a bunch of kids. Oh, like, my God. Oh, it is so horrible. I was like, God, Paul, it just sucks to be you. Hey, Paul. <laughs> it's, just, it's so unfortunate <laughs> to be Paul right now. Oh, my God. That is so awful. Do <laughs> you imagine doing that and you're, 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 you're like... The screams of school children? <gasps> Buddy! <laughs> no! <laughs> So imagine like you're sitting there like, oh poor thing. Oh, at least he probably didn't feel it. And then you hear kids screaming behind you, and you're like, <laughs> you don't even have to look you don't have to look at him, you're just like, oh fuck. Tell me the dog was dead on impact and he didn't have to like do something. At that point I didn't ask. <laughs> why? <laughs> That'd be the only thing worse is him having to put the dog out of his misery in front of the kids. <laughs> and he didn't have anything. So the only thing he could do is like stomp on it. Get back in the truck and <laughs> drive over him again. Oh, and I'm not laughing at, at, at oh what happened. God. It's just how could he has the worst luck. Yeah, so whenever I ha- whenever I think I've got it bad, I think, well, I'm not Paul. Yeah, I didn't know about this. This is a new yeah. one for Paul. I was saving it for this episode. <laughs> Give y'all a Paul update. 
Alright guys, welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name's Erica, and I'm joined by my husband, Billy Snuggle Bunny Jones. Hi! When you think about it, when the dog got hit and the kids were screaming, it was kind of the total reverse opposite of Pet Cemetery. Kind of? Because the kid got hit, and the parents came out screaming, this time it was a dog, and the kids came out screaming, so it's kind of the opposite, you know what I mean? All right, guys, welcome to this episode. Before we start off, I just want to say one thing. Happy birthday to you. Who are you singing? Oh, me. Happy birthday to you. Oh, wow. Happy birthday, Mr. Snuggle Bunny. That's me. Happy birthday to you. Couldn't even get my kids to tell me that. Yeah. It's Billy's birthday. Woo! He's old. Yay. (laughs) Thanks for catching up with me. Yeah. Ripe old age of 38. I think so. Yeah. Gotta do the math again, but I'm pretty sure I'm 38 now. Yeah, 38. We're vastly approaching 40. I was just telling my mom earlier today that I can't believe we have a kid in high school. That's just, it blows my mind. God. Yeah, you're trying to depress me more? <laughs> Happy birthday! <laughs> Thanks, lay off. Let's talk about some <laughs> fucked up shit. <laughs> yeah. We did this on my birthday, now it's your turn. <laughs> All right, let's get into it, guys. So, this week we've got a mystery for you. And this is one that may be well known to our listeners across the pond in England, and maybe to some mystery buffs elsewhere. I personally had not come across it before and thought it would be a good time for us to dig into the debate of quote unquote who done it. We're going to talk about a man named William Wallace and not the Scottish knight portrayed by Mel Gibson and Braveheart. And that's William Wallace. William Wallace. Is that better? Yeah. Thanks. Freedom <laughs> Freedom we know, who, we know who did that. Did what? Killed him. Um, really bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. thanks for tuning in we solved it yep this is william herbert wallace a man accused of murdering his wife in january of 1931 in the book raymond chandler speaking chandler refers to the wallace case as quote the non-peril of all murder mysteries i call it the impossible murder because wallace couldn't have done it and neither could anyone else end quote To me, the story of Blair Adams' death that we covered in our very first episode is still the one to beat, but this one is intriguing as well. So let's get into it. I want to be impressed. (laughs) On the night of January 20th, 1931, 52-year-old William Wallace returned to his home around 8.45 p.m. after going on what was an apparent wild goose chase, which we will discuss later. What if it was a goose chase? Like he was chasing wild geese. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, come here, birdie, 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 birdie. And they were like, honk. Then they kicked his ass like they did yours. Yeah. <laughs> Cobra chickens. <laughs> well, this is England, though. So they're like, William, what were you doing? I'm hunting wild geese. Shut up. <laughs> You're going to spook them. <laughs> his neighbors, John and Florence Johnston, saw him outside the rear of his home at 29 Wolverton Street as they were leaving their house. 
He seemed perturbed and flustered and told them both his front and back doors were locked and he couldn't get in. He knew his wife Julia should have been home, but the house was dark and there was no response from inside. He asked them if they had heard anything unusual that evening and they said that they hadn't. Now, with John and Florence watching, William again tried the back door and oddly this time it opened. They watched him go inside and light a lamp calling out for his wife. Soon after, he came running back to the door and said, quote, Oh, come and see, she's been killed, end quote. I bet you he felt like a horse's ass when he was trying to get in. The neighbors were like, what's going on, Bill? And he's like, that stupid bitch kept the doors locked again. I swear <laughs> to fucking God, she does this, I'm going to fucking leave her. And then She better be fucking dead in she there. If she, <laughs> if she ain't dead, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> he knew his wife, Julia, should have been there. Well, I mean... He was expecting the doors to be unlocked. She was home. But then why does it open only when the neighbors are watching? I don't know, but you know, there's always that door in the house. You're like, give it a jiggle and it'll open. Yeah, it's like it's like that in England, but with Americans, because a lot of us are rednecks. We say jiggle the toilet handle. We don't mm-hmm. do jiggle the door. <laughs> well, the three entered the front room to find Julia lying face down on the floor in front of the gas fireplace. And if I was the neighbor, I'd be like... Well, there she is. She didn't go nowhere. Found her. She's home. <laughs> Don't you feel like a dick? <laughs> <laughs> her head had been smashed, exposing the contents of her skull. William remarked, quote, they finished her. Look at her brains, end quote, which is kind of a weird thing to say about your wife that you just found murdered, if you ask me. Yeah. But I yeah. am not going to be like, oh my God, look at Billy's brains if I see you. Yeah. <laughs> it, wouldn't it be more like you're... Because, you know, when you see something like that, you're not right in the head. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. You know, you're even though you could be as smart as you're going to be, every listener that's listening could be as smart as they're going to be. You know, you're going to try to put the brains back in. You know, you're going to pick them up. <laughs> you're going to pull a Jackie Onassis. I can fix this. I can fix this. It's okay. You know, you're going to be okay, baby. So he wasn't wrong. Brains were leaking out of her head and she laid in a large pool of blood. It most definitely was not a tragic accident. Julia had been bludgeoned to death. Well, she may have tripped and fell seven times. Right in front of the fireplace in the middle of the room. Yeah, really hard. Mm. Shoestrings. <laughs> Gotta tie them. <laughs> Let's go back a bit and get a little history on William and Julia. And I'm not going to bog the story down with too much detail from the earlier days because we're probably going to have a lot of questions to ponder about this murder later that are going to take some time. So I'll just kind of give you the basics. William was born in Millam, Cumberland in 1878. He left school at age 14, trained as a draper's assistant. How the fuck do you train to be a draper's assistant? Evidently, draper was a thing they had as a job. What's a draper? Drapes Someone things? that makes or hangs drapes, I'm assuming. Oh. And you need an assistant with that? Evidently. Hold all the fabric. Yeah. Something. All right, we know who did it. <laughs> he took a job after that, finishing uh, after finishing his apprenticeship with an outfitter's company for Her Majesty's Armed Forces in the Colonial Indian and Foreign Services. Mm. Mm, distinguished. I would have been really let down if he picked up a job like as a grocer. <laughs> if at a gas like, station, like really, like <laughs> Draper's assistant, you trained for this. And you didn't get that job. You know, you, he worked the front counter at a fucking butcher shop. And like, really? <laughs> so in 
Over the years, he transferred to a branch of the company in India for a couple of years, and then to Shanghai, China. William had a chronic kidney problem that caused him to resign his position and return to England in 1907 to have his left kidney removed at Guy's Hospital, which is probably the most generic name of a hospital that I've ever heard of. I don't know. It's that Guy's Hospital. There should be one called Medical Building. (laughs) Just call it his. The doctor box place. (laughs) He eventually took a job working for the Liberal Party and rose to the position of election agent by 1911. It was around this time that he met his future wife, Julia Dennis. The two wed in March of 1914. Now, there's some questionable things about Julia's history, and it's not clear exactly how much William may or may not have known about her. The two were thought to be around the same age. Their marriage certificate listed her as 37, which would be around his same age. At a year, and that's me, baby. Mm-hmm. But in 2001, it was brought to light that her original birth certificate listed her as being birthed in 1861. That made her actually 53, and William would have been 36. Ew! Reminds me of that movie, The Orphan, where it was a little girl, but it turns out in the end it was oh, like a 36-year-old yeah. chick. Yeah. (laughs) Julia was the second of seven children, and her mother passed away while birthing the seventh child, the night before Julia's 10th birthday. That was a shitty birthday. Dude. This left her father a mess. He had to give up farming, became an alcoholic, and passed away just a few years later when Julia was 14. Julia soon became a governess, which I had to look up. Which is a woman that's hired to homeschool children. I thought it was she like a, was like a live-in teacher. I thought like a governess would be a governor's wife. <laughs> no, that's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> I'm not dumb for thinking that either. That sounds like yeah, I wasn't sure what it was. So yeah. yeah, someone that they would hire to come stay in their house and they would teach the children. Basically, high-priced homeschooling. Deal with the children. I don't want to. That kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it kept a roof over her head and gave her some stability. Around the age of 40 is when things get a little hinky with Julia. She claimed that she was 30 on the census, shaving off 10 years. It's thought that she may have done it to help with her ongoing employment, as the role of governess was typically filled by a younger, single female. She carried on as the quote-unquote younger version of herself into the marriage, as I mentioned on the marriage certificate. But she also fabricated some other information on it as well. She claimed her father was a veterinary surgeon and gave her mother's name an accent, saying she was of French origin. She also said that she had been born in a higher-class town of Sussex instead of her real birthplace of Bruntcliffe Farm, North Yorkshire. They always have long names. (laughs) You guys have like 15 names to say where you're at. (laughs) Bruntshire, Mumford & Sons. (laughs) (laughs) Off the beaten path, Wilkshire Farms and Yogurt <laughs> Hospital. Pepperidge Farms. That Pepperidge Farms remembers. <laughs> it's also believed that this was for employment as well as governesses were generally middle class and well-bred. So it kind of gave her a more worldly feel. Hey man, when you're trying to get hired. Lie on your resume? Yeah. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Steal from... Liquor stores and lie on your resume. You're really on a trend here, Billy. Not steal from liquor stores. I told you what would happen if you stole from a fucking liquor store. (laughs) I told you what would happen. (laughs) But yeah. 
Yeah, fluff up your resume, man. If you're if, if you're not doing that, I'm let down. Fluffer. On my resume, I have down that I went into a burning building and rescued 20 children. Mm. I just really hope they don't want me to be a fireman because I'll look like a silly goose whenever I show up there. I'll be like, ah, it's too hot. No. <laughs> I'm sweating. Um, I can't do this. Well, whoever's in there is probably going to die. Hmm. Look yeah. Good. Lost cause. I'll throw a water bottle up there. They just got to stick their burning arms out. Not even open. Just it. a closed water bottle. <laughs> Here, catch. Oh, they missed. They're on fire. I mean, I can't see what they're catching. <laughs> so, yeah, she had some lies that she shared. And it's not really sure how many of these lies William may have been privy to. And when the two got married, none of her siblings attended. So there was no one to question these false claims. Shortly after the two were married, William's job title was discontinued, and he found a job as an insurance collection agent with Prudential Assurance Company in Liverpool. The couple relocated there the next year and settled in the Anfield District. During the 1920s, William supplemented his income by lecturing on chemistry part-time at Liverpool Technical College, because he was kind of a nerd. That's cool, though. He enjoyed chemistry, botany, and learned to play the violin so that he and Julia could have quote-unquote musical evenings at their home as Julia was a pianist. Oh, God, nerd alert. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. He also played chess and was a member of the Liverpool Central Chess Club, which is where this crime mystery takes off. The chess club had arranged chess games every week, one of which William attended the night before the murder, January 19, 1931. He was given a message while there. A man had called about 25 minutes before he had arrived, requesting that William meet him the following night to discuss insurance. He said his name was R.M. Qualtroff. Of course it was. And he wanted William to come to the address 25 Menlove Gardens East in Liverpool at 7.30 p.m. on the 20th. Hmm. That's your convenience. So the next night, William caught a tram car and headed to the south of the city looking for the address given. William knew the town very well as he traveled it all the time for his job collecting insurance premiums. But when he got to where he thought the address might be, it wasn't to be found. There was a Menlove Gardens north, south, and west, but not a Menlove Gardens east. He spoke to many people while trying to track the address down. The tram car driver, a newspaper vendor, a policeman, and several people just walking along the street. He even called 25 Menlove Gardens West to inquire about it, but no one was familiar with Menlove Gardens East. After 45 minutes of searching, he decided to give up and return home. This what would is... you have said back then? Bullocks this! <laughs> right? Poppycock! Poppycock! That's my favorite, poppycock. I like that. That's nice. Erica, we're taking a hit off of the vapes. This is where, this is the part you want to cut out. It's a good place for an ad. Okay, so William, after about 45 minutes, was like, this is pointless. And he decided he would return home. And this is when his neighbors came across him trying to get into his apparently locked house. It was just moments later that Julia was found murdered. Now, as I said before... Julia was face down in the front room of the house in front of the fireplace, obviously bludgeoned. The most severe blows were around the left ear, which is where the brain matter had oozed out. 
but she was probably still alive after receiving those blows, the fatal ones being to the back of her head as she lay face down on the floor. So the one that took her down was somebody swinging from the right. Somebody took her down, it shattered her skull, brain oozed out, but she was probably still alive. I was thinking maybe she took a hit from somebody right-handed to the left, that's, and then when she went down, they took her out by hitting the back of her head. That's the next point I have in my notes. Oh. If the killer was right-handed, as that is the majority of people, unlike Billy. What's weird. Freak! What's weird <laughs> is, get this, you ready? Mm-hmm. I fire a rifle, left-handed. Shoot a pistol, right-handed. Dominant with a knife on my right hand. But I need a knife in my left hand if I'm co- if I'm eating steak. I swing a bat right-handed, golf right-handed. But if I play like hockey or something like that, it's left-handed. I'm all I'm all over the place. Freak! Yeah, you should see me try to play that one game. I call it hammerball. Um, I forget the name of it. Hammerball. Yeah, I've always called it hammerball. Croquet. Pe- there it is. People always look at me like I'm a hick. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you guys got a hammer hammerball set. And they're like, what? And I'm like, the thing with the... I have no clue how to play pro- croquet. That's it's just- so fun. We call it hammerball. Who's we? Me. <laughs> Do you have multiple personalities? Me call it hammerball. <laughs> yeah, you're weird. You got to hit it through the metal hoop thing. Yeah, I'm it's aware. Like whoever but... takes the most hits and the more hits it takes to get it through. Like I think they when they lose. It's it, like putt-putt? Sort of. And then there's a stick at the end. Like golf? That's sticking out. And then you have to hit the ball and hit that stick. And then when you do that, you did something good. It's hammerball. Oh, I'm glad you cleared that up for us. Yep. I had no clue how to play it. Hammerball. Now you guys know. If you play croquet, as you like to call it. Yeah, for the layman. You mean hammerball. Hammerball. Then uh, that's how you play. Those yeah. are the rules. Billy just laid them down. Yep. The snuggle bunny has spoken. End point. Yep. For uh, too long, at some point, you got to remind me to talk about how uh, the Snuggle Bunny is taking vengeance at Walmart. I am. Just just go ahead. I'm getting tired of people leaving their fucking cart um, right when they walk out the door. Because, you know, that vestibule where, you know, mm-hmm. you get the carts. The vegetable. The vegetable. They'll just, <laughs> they'll just grab their shit and walk and leave their cart there. So what I'm starting to do is I'm starting to speed up and then I clip their heel. And then when they turn around, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 are you okay? But then when they walk away, I'm like, fuck you. Don't you ever do that again. So I'm taking it to the streets. If you're in Muncie and you leave a cart at Walmart and I'm behind you, I'm clipping your heel. I do have to point out something. Do you do it? I have to refer back to an older episode that we've done. Uh-huh. The Bad Decision Bandit Goes Postal. Mm-hmm. When you were deliberately leaving things in the wrong place at the store. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, but uh, I'm giving the night people that work there something to do. and um, So is... No, I'm doing it. I'm doing that for fun. It's not fun leaving your fucking cart. That shows Maybe laziness. Maybe they're doing it for fun. Well, I'm going to cut their fun short with a clip to the heel. Hypocrite. Boop. Sure. All right. <laughs> All right. Carry on. She probably got hit with a hammerball hammer in the side of the head. So, yeah, she was probably still alive when she got hit and wasn't actually killed until she was on the ground. 
But she was on her way. Like I said, if the majority of the hits were on the left side of her head and the person was facing her, then it would be likely a right-handed person. Just throwing that out there. I don't know who's right-handed and who's not in the story, but I would think that that would be someone facing her, not someone sneaking up behind. A small portion of her dress was singed, so it was believed that she had to have brushed up near the fireplace at some point. Lying on the floor next to her and partially under her body was William's Macintosh, which is basically a full-length rain slicker. Did you have to look that one up, too? I did. I had an idea of what it was, but I want to make sure. So is a rain slicker? They call it a Macintosh. Is it still? It's named after the man that, like, created it, but they added a K into it at some point. Hey, Snuggle Bunnies. I actually looked this shit up. Snuggle Bunnies across the pond. Let me know. Patreon.com slash use the cob, because that's what I do with my time. I look up Ks added to names. Let us know if that's what you guys still call it. We call it, like, a slicker or a poncho. Yeah, a raincoat. Or a raincoat. Um, Or we grab the thing that's really shiny and we go, it's raining. And we put it on a walkout. This will protect me. I will wear it. Uh, so, yeah, that was also partially singed. Blood spatter and cast off surrounded the room up to seven feet high on the walls. Investigators arrived on the scene and began searching the home, looking for evidence, and questioning William and the neighbors. You know the rookie was puking. Of course, always. William filled them in on the message he had received the night before at the chess club in the wild goose chase he had been on that night, trying to find the elusive R.M. Qualtruff to discuss insurance. So, is every time you say that, you're going to do it like that? Qualtruff. Qualtruff. R.M. Qualtruff. (laughs) (laughs) I have a monocle. And a mustache. You'd be hot if you had... Matches my earring. You'd be hot if you had a monocle. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're hot now. Hey, thanks. <laughs> so they asked, huh? I, what? I, I, what? I'd hit it. What? You have. <laughs> right. Okay. At least twice <laughs> that we know of. What says we know of? Yeah. <laughs> so they asked William to check around the house for anything that could be missing. There had been a serial burglar in the area recently that had been given the moniker the Anfield Housebreaker, and they wondered if this could be related. William noticed that a kitchen cabinet door had been ripped off. On one of the shelves, there was a tin that he used to collect money for Prudential. He took it down and said that he had four pounds in it, but the money was gone. Now, it would be worth about 260 pounds today with inflation, but it's still not like a huge amount. But Julia's handbag sat out in the open with nothing taken from it. The bedroom appeared to have been rifled some, with the bed linens tossed and some of Julia's hats and personal belongings on the floor, but William said nothing was missing from there either. Nothing of value other than the money William claimed was gone had been taken, which hardly seemed like the work of a serial burglar. One thing that was missing, though, was a metal fireplace poker believed to possibly be the murder weapon. Mm. Investigators searched the entire house and surrounding areas looking for a murder weapon, but they came up empty. All of the drains in the bath and sinks in the house were checked and no sign of blood was found in them, implicating that the murderer who would have had to have been covered in blood and possibly skull and brain matter, probably did not clean off inside the house. There was one clot of blood found in the toilet, but it couldn't be determined where it came from. And there are crime scene photos online that you can look up. They're not super gory, so don't be worried about that. They're black and white. It doesn't show a lot of detail. 
but one of those is the toilet, and the water looks really dark, like there may be a large volume of blood in it, but there's also a dark line running down the back of the toilet, kind of where that divot is in the toilet bowl. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's this dark area running down that's like rust or grime or whatever. So it could just be that the toilet bowl where the water actually sat had the same grime on it because all the resources I looked at said that it was just a small clot of blood. Dr. John Edward Whitley McFall. You're doing it with all the names. With his 10 names. (laughs) A lecturer of forensic medicine at the University of Liverpool was brought in to examine the body. His findings would later be considered highly questionable as he used rigor mortis to determine the time of death. I'm sure all of you know that rigor mortis is the stiffening of a body after death, but it's never exact for determining a time of death because a variety of factors such as age, sex, muscle build, the amount of lactic acid in the body, etc. All of that affects certain parts of the body first before spreading to the others, and it's never exact person to person. It's very individualized. It usually begins within a few hours after death. So if a body is completely stiff, you can probably narrow down the time of death to a 12 to 24 hour time period. But we're looking at the window for this murder only being a couple of hours, which almost no time of death can be narrowed any further down from without evidence of outside sources like eyewitnesses. So he declared that her time of death was around 8 p.m., Less than an hour before William returned home. And I don't know how he would come up with that number, considering she probably was not hardly stiff at all at that point. (laughs) So, we've got a dead woman. Bludgeoned to death. Check. In a house allegedly locked from the inside. Checkeroo. Her husband's raincoat is next to her on the floor, and both the raincoat and her skirt have been singed by the fireplace. Checkeroonie. None of the drains show any signs of someone washing blood off themselves after committing the murder. That's a check. The only room that was rifled was the bedroom. Check. But nothing was taken from there. Fucking check. There's a door off of a cabinet in the kitchen and a tin sitting on a shelf inside, which William claims four pounds was taken from. That's a weird-ass check. But if someone did indeed take it, then they took the tin down, opened it, and got the money, put the lid back on, and then put it back up on the shelf. What the check? (laughs) (laughs) What the F? The only other thing missing is a fireplace poker, which may be the murder weapon. And Julia's life. That's missing, too. Yep. Yep, it's gone. Yep. And police noticed one more thing. Even with the doors locked, as you mentioned earlier, the locks were faulty. Just jiggling them for a few Uh. moments allowed the locks to pop open. They found this as curious as they expected the man of the house would have been well aware of the faulty locks and how to finagle them to pop them open. Yeah, and they talked about it amongst themselves. And they're like, look at him. He teaches fucking chemistry. He's in the chess club and he, he's desperately trying to, he's, he's, he's actually aggressively learning how to play the violin. <laughs> Something tells me he doesn't really know locks or screwdrivers. But he would have known how to jiggle it. It's your home. That's where you live. You've been there for years. Yeah, but how many times did he go to the back door? Maybe he tried the back and he was like, ah, hell. Went up to the front. He's like, ah, hell. Uh, bitch locked doors and went to the back. Maybe that's why he went to the back again. He was like, ah, you know what? The back, there's a trick. And then he jiggled it. and Could you know, be, but. Could have been. Odd to the police. So, as I said, why is it 
Only that after the neighbors were watching him that he was able to open doors. Was he trying to set them up to be the second and third witnesses to finding his wife's body? He was setting it all up. Or, like Billy said, he just went back to the back door again and tried it again and it worked that time. So, during the ongoing investigation after that night, more questionable things popped up on the investigator's radar. They were able to trace the call from the man who called the chess club and left the message for William. It traced back to a phone booth that just happened to be 400 yards from the Wallace's house. Could someone have been watching them, or could William have placed the call himself, posing as some mystery man, to give himself an alibi for the following evening? The person who took the call, though, said that they were certain it wasn't William's voice. Investigators learned that William hadn't attended a chess match in the club for weeks, so they found it curious that the one night someone had called for him there is the one night he happened to return to the club. That doesn't that does not mean he did it. True. And the call came before he arrived, so it's as if the caller expected him to be there. And the name the caller gave was just as fake as the address he had given. They couldn't find anyone with the last name Qualtruff. You still did it, even though it's a fake mm-hmm. name. I like it. Fake name Qualtruff. Rumpf. They began tracking down as many witnesses as possible to retrace William's movements that night. All of the people that he spoke to while trying to find the non-existent address stated that he kept pointing out that he had to meet someone at 7.30 or in 15 minutes or however long he had, rather than just saying he was lost. They wondered if he was securing the timeline for his alibi by repeatedly mentioning the time frame to potential witnesses. Or it could just be a guy thing. Guys don't like to admit they're lost. Could be. But he kept saying to everyone, I'm supposed to meet someone at 7.30. I have to be there in 15 minutes. I have to be there in 10 minutes. Every person that they questioned said that he made a point to say, He had to meet someone at this time or in this many minutes. Investigators knew that whoever killed Julia had to be covered with blood, but would William have had time to do the deed and clean up before leaving the house and somehow do it without leaving traces of blood in the sink and tub drains? A milk boy and some other eyewitnesses told police that they had seen Julia between 6.30 and 6.45 p.m. If we go by the latest possible time a witness gave, That would only give William about 15 to 20 minutes to kill Julia, clean up, get rid of the murder weapon, and catch the tram by 7.06 p.m. when he was picked up, as verified by multiple accounts. Police thought this was possible if he was wearing the raincoat. Yeah. The Macintosh. Hey, Paul! Yeah. And when we say that, this is why I mentioned that earlier... It's a reference to American Psycho, where he's wearing the raincoat, and he kills a guy named Paul. He's like, hey, Paul, and whacks him with the axe. So that's where that reference comes in. I know we've said it many times before. (laughs) You know what gets me is, I know it was a movie prop, but seriously, have you ever seen an axe that's like chrome? Yeah, that's like perfectly mirrored. Where do you get one like that? (laughs) Not like I want to get one, but like... I kind of want to get one. I've never been to like fucking Home Depot or Menards and been like, hey, look, there's that. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, did you see the cool photo shoot that Christian Bale did? Okay, there's this cool line of photo shoots that famous actors have done 
that like famous actors have been in, you know, and there's I think props from the and it's Christian Bale and his um and it's Christian Bale as he is now. He's got like a beard and everything. He's got a suit on, he's got his hands on the table, he's leaning over, looking at the camera, and on the table is a chrome chrome plated axe and business cards all over mm-hmm. because of, of American Psycho. I'm thinking you show me that. It was really neat. That's and a what great was cool movie. was uh one was um Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. And Anthony Hopkins is standing with his arms crossed, and then there's that glass, and then there's a chair, and Jodie Foster's sitting there. I was like, that's fucking classy mm-hmm. as shit. It's really neat. Okay, I'm that's sorry. That's another great movie. You made me think of something when you mentioned Milk Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is true or not. This is something that was told to me. Is It made me think of Six Packs. Now, and like Because the night- of the milk coming in Six Packs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, usually... Back in the day, milk would come in those metal wired mm-hmm. six six yeah, packs. Yeah, like a crate. And this guy told me years ago, that's why we have six packs now. I think it's pretty sexist, but it's because that's the that that's the most. It's like at the time, it was believed that's the most a woman can carry down the road. Oh, it's fuck six you. bottles that are in a carrier. I'm and, not a feminist, like crazy. Yeah, women are superior, but. Fuck you. I can do that, too. I can carry fucking milk. Yeah. But that's why there's six packs of beer, six packs of Coke, six packs of, like, plastic bottles of Coke. I carry cases I know. of Coke I know. and water and 30-pound bags of dog food all the time. And, well, you know, uh, I carry the water. Let's be honest. Yo, I've like, been carrying the water yo, because you got tired you, of carrying the water. Yeah, because you're always like, oh, you're at the store? Hey, while you're there, can you get a pack of water? I'm like, hi, again? Billy, for some reason, is adverse to buying packs of bottled water. No, it's just... I have no problem whatsoever carrying them. I have no problem doing it. It's just, it's weird. Every time I'm at the store, we need a case of water. Who generally goes to the store? Me. Uh, So it's just by chance, you just happen to be more at the store than me. We need to work on that. Sometimes it needs to be your turn. You have the debit card. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, I was told that and I was like, that's really fucked up. And he was like... The guy told me, he was like, yeah, he said, but it's just this thing that just came from like the 50s and they never changed it. Now it's just, now it became an institution. What is it? It's a six pack. Fuck you, 50s. Yeah, for real. Fuck you, 50s. <laughs> if that's true, this is something a guy told me in passing at work like years ago. But when he said it, I was like, ah, we're kind of a shitty, we're shitty people. We're, we are. You know, like Americans through, are shitty. Through, through, through history, we're not the best. So it's like, I don't like it, but you know what, sir? I don't even know who you are, and you told me this information, and I fucking believe you. Mm-hmm. I believe what you just said. Yep. All right, so back to this shit. As I said, <laughs> they expected the person would have to be covered in blood, but if they'd been wearing that raincoat that was found next to her body, maybe they wouldn't have. So police thought that if William had been naked except for the raincoat, He could have only gotten minimal blood on his body, like maybe his feet and his face. Mm -hmm. He could have then dropped the coat next to her body where it was found, wiped down with a cloth or a towel that could be disposed of, gotten dressed, left the house, dropped the weapon and the towel somewhere to dispose of them, and then caught the tram. It would have been extremely close, but it probably could have been done. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you're really, I mean, 20 minutes to do all that. He would have, like, in my opinion, it would have been one of those things where, like, if I was if I was a cop, I would have asked the neighbors, like, have you seen him do anything weird lately? Because that would take a couple, in my opinion, a couple rehearsals. Dry runs. That would take a couple, couple dry runs to see, like, 
your 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 timetable. You have to have a timetable worked I out. I mean, how can you foresee how long it's going to take to beat someone to death? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're bludgeoning. It's not like shooting someone where no. you expect it to be done instantaneously. But maybe he's really good at hammerball. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that strong arm from playing the violin. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I always wondered why when whenever he played chess, he just slammed it down. He didn't just place it. It was like, bam! And he did it first move with like the pawn. And you're like... Salt Bay. Yeah. I don't know why Salt <laughs> Bay came up, but like like he got first move and he just moved his pawn two spaces instead of one. and was like, boom! And they're like, ah! It's a pawn. Bill, what are you doing? <laughs> you shook my pieces. Now I got to get them back in order. You're automatically shortening his name to your name. Yep. You got to stick together. So, this would have been a very close time frame for him to fit all that in, but it technically could could have been done. They assumed it could be done. It's not like they beat someone to death and tried it themselves. (laughs) 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 Who who drew the short straw? Oi, Philip, stand still. Philip, sorry, it's you, bud. Fucked up. It was. Just, it was. It was from the guy like the same cop. Like you know, it was like constable, come here. Give me your baton. Don't move. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterward, he's covered in blood. He's like, "Yep, it could be done. <laughs> it could be done." Charge him. What do you mean? I'm under arrest. <laughs> and although many witnesses said he seemed concerned about not finding the address. None of the reports I saw stated that he seemed sweaty or winded, as you would expect a 52-year-old chess-playing chemist with chronic health problems to be after doing all that. Nobody but, was like, he seemed really like he just was yeah, worn but, out. I mean, he could have caught his breath on the tram. That's what they're saying, on the tram. Oh. He didn't come on appearing like he was winded, tired. Oh. Like, no one said... They oh, said, yeah, he meant... seemed really concerned about getting where he needed to go I thought you meant the people time. he spoke to when he got there. It was like, no. Well, no, he had time to All relax. of the witnesses were... I mean, even the, the tram driver, you know, he spoke to him and said, where do we need to go? And he said, this is the closest place I can drop you off. And that men's love garden where there's east, west, north, whatever. No east, but yeah. Yeah, no east, but... Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> North, South, West. Um, but nobody said that he seemed worn out, tired. None of the reports that I saw said that he came off as anything other than worried about getting there on time. Mm-hmm. So despite the small window of time and no obvious motive, they seem to be a loving couple. They've been together together for several years. You said together. Together. Meh. Despite the small window of time and no obvious motive, investigators thought everything was just too coincidental for it to be someone else. They arrested William and charged him with murder two weeks later. But why do they have the go out? I mean, basically, their evidence is a hunch. They're basically saying no one else could have done it. You had to have done it. That's all that they had, really. So, I don't know how they do it in England, but in America, you have, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, and there's still reasonable doubt oh, they, just because they, you could do they it. They had pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So just because it could be done doesn't mean he did it. You can't place him there. Well, he had a four-day trial in April of that year, and he was called to the stand and calmly denied any involvement in the murder. 
Most spectators felt the prosecution hadn't made their case, but the jury found him guilty within an hour. And I read that many of them thought that his lack of emotion, which most lawyers will tell you, don't show any emotion because that makes you look guilty. They said his lack of emotion made him appear guilty. It's like, well, then you can't win you no can't matter what win. you do. Yeah, because if you show emotion, you look like you're showing remorse for what you did. If mm-hmm. you don't show emotion, it shows that you're cold for what mm-hmm. you did. Yeah. He was sentenced to death by hanging and death sentences moved swiftly back then. He was scheduled for execution the very next month. William appealed, obviously, and his case made history. At the Court of Criminal Appeal in London the next month, Justice Gordon Hewitt declared that the case against William was not, quote, proved with that certainty which is necessary in order to justify a verdict of guilty. The result is that this appeal will be allowed and this conviction quashed, end quote. And with that, William left the courtroom that day a free man. Well, by law, they have to. Although William was free, many still held the feeling that he was a murderer. He was shunned, got hate mail, had threats made against him, and he had to take an office job at Prudential where he didn't have to go out in public. And just two years later, his kidney problems finally overwhelmed him and he died at age 54. No one else was ever charged with the murder, but there was one other likely suspect, a man named Richard Gordon Perry. He had been a junior employee at the insurance firm and had collected on William's behalf before when William had been ill with his kidney problems. He was 22, considered very spoiled, and lived a lifestyle beyond his means. He would have known that William kept his day's collection of money in the tent at his house. Mm. He also knew Julia, as he had been to their home many times, so she would have welcomed him in without hesitation. And the neighbors would have been like, oh, it's that guy. He's there all the time. Yeah. You know, so they could have been like, oh, did you see anybody strange? Like, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, technically, no, we didn't see anybody strange show up there. A witness came forward sometime after William's arrest and said that Perry had brought his car into the garage the witness worked at on the night of the murder. He said Perry seemed agitated and told him he wanted both the exterior and interior of the car hosed down. The man who cleaned the car said there was a bloody glove in the passenger compartment that Perry snatched it away and remarked, if the police found that, they'd hang me. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. Perry did have corroborating witnesses for the night of the phone call and the night of the murder, his girlfriend and her mother the first night, and a few random people that he saw the night of the murder. But the garage employee allegedly spoke with his boss that same night about what he had seen, and the two decided that they would keep their mouths shut and stay out of it. The fact that he told someone the night of tends to lead more credence to a story, despite him waiting several weeks to say anything. But what motive would Perry really have besides whatever money was in the tin? And was that enough to kill a woman for? There were other valuables in the house that weren't taken, including Julia's pocketbook and its contents. And would this 22-year-old have thought to call William at the club and leave a message as a way to lure him away from the home the following night? If he was going to do that, why not come up with a story to lead both William and Julia out of the house if he just wanted to rob them? If the caller wanted only William out, then it seems Julia was the target. 
but if there really was money in the tin, then the murderer had to know of its whereabouts as it was the only thing missing. Perry was seemingly the only person who did. But how would he have gotten out and left the doors locked from the inside? And why get the money out of the tin and take the time to put the lid back on and put it back in the cabinet unless William made up a story about money being gone to make it look like a burglary gone wrong? How does this make any sense? You guys discuss it amongst yourselves. So, like I said at the beginning, it's it's a murder that he couldn't have done for multiple reasons, but somebody else can have done for multiple reasons. So then how do you find who actually did it? I don't know. I mean, most people think that he did it, that he locked the house up after murdering his wife, but then how do you account for the very narrow window of time and what would be the reason they were seemingly a happy couple never had any problems he had really no motive but if someone took the money from the tin they had to know it was there unless he made it up which if he made it up he was trying to make it look like a burglary but if someone was burglarizing them why would they take the money out and take the time to put the lid back on and put it back on the shelf and why not and lure both of them out of the why house? Why not just take it with you? I mean, because you already ripped the cabinet door off, didn't you? Yeah. So they already know you went in there. But, like I said, that only leaves like a 20-minute window. And they, for months, tried to, like, dredge the lakes and the sewage and all that stuff. Never found the murder weapon. Never found any type of evidence relating to the crime. So... If he did kill his wife, where did he get rid of the evidence in that time frame and still make it to the tram after cleaning off and getting dressed and disposing of the evidence? I mean, he had 20 minutes. Yeah. So, and no one said he looked like he had just come from some... Yeah, so he had 20 minutes and he was calm as a cucumber. Exactly. Other than trying to make it to this appointment. I got to be there at this time. Unless... And if he's a chemist and a chess player, he's probably punctual. And he's probably saying, I got to be there at this time. Because that's how I am. I leave fucking an hour early for work because I'm fucking punctual. I mean... Actually, now now I just thought of it. I mean, he probably could have figured out a more clever way to do it. He was a chemist. Mm-hmm. He could probably figure out a way to kill her, and nobody would know anything. Did she, exactly. He, I mean, he could probably make it look like a fucking heart attack, mm-hmm. and nobody would know because he's a chemist and he can do shit like that. You ever seen Breaking Bad? Here's the point: <laughs> is make some blue meth. It would seem kind of beneath him to bludgeon somebody to death when you have so much knowledge of like the periodic fucking table. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. But maybe. Maybe that's why. Maybe they're like, oh, did she just die of a heart attack? Seems weird seeing as her husband lectures about chemistry. Maybe it's, I don't know. And like I said, if, like the majority of humans, aren't right-handed, the person was facing her. So it wasn't like a sneak attack. Nobody crept up and like beat her on the back of the head. Somebody hit her on the left side of her head. And then it was only once she was down that she was killed. So... Whoever it was had to be somebody she that knew. she knew. I mean, unless Which, it was a stranger she was backing up from and that's how her dress got singed. Well, it could have been him. You know, like, let's say it was him. 
uh, why are you wearing that Macintosh? And then he turns around from stoking the flame and belts her in the face with, you know, and that's the only been that. That's the other thing is like, why would that raincoat be laying next to her unless somebody had been wearing it? I mean, she would have no reason to have her husband's raincoat out as she was getting beaten to death. But then part of it ends up underneath her body. Well, what if it was rain that day and she went out to check the mail and she put it on? I mean, how many times have you worn my sweatshirts? True. And how would part of it gotten under her if somebody had been wearing it, beat her down, hit her when she was down and killed her, and then what, they tucked some of it under her body? Or maybe she came in and warmed herself up by the fire while taking off the coat, turned around and got beamed in the face and fell on top of the coat she just took off. Exactly. So. I don't know. Could have been anything. It's one of those who did it. Yeah. Was it him? Was it someone else? From all of the research that I read, it really didn't seem like he would have a reason or that he would have the ability to do it, to pull it off. Mm -hmm. He was chronically ill. He was 52. It's not like he was in the best shape ever because he sat around and studied chess and botany and chemistry. Violin. And played the violin. So... I mean, he did have a strong hum. He had a strong hum. Take my strong hum, child. <laughs> but then if it wasn't him, who would have thought to plan ahead enough to lure him out of the house for the purpose of killing her and why? Mm. But she had all these lies in her past. What other lies maybe did she have that we aren't privy to? I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. It's a very strange one. So, basically, was it William or someone else? Did William get away with murder? Just like the quote from the beginning of the episode, William couldn't have done it, but neither could have anyone else. So let us know your thoughts on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, Martinis in the Macabre, and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. We also have a fan page on Facebook called Friends Who Like Martinis in the Macabre, or you can drop us an email via the contact page on our website, martinisinthemacabre.com. Or email us directly at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com. We really do want to hear what you guys think about this case because it's a weird one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you like this episode, please get on iTunes or wherever you're able to rate and review and give us five stars. Other than word of mouth, this is one of the best ways to help us grow. It lets people know what to expect from us and lets them know that other listeners have listened and like it. And if you send us a screenshot of any review that you've left, we will send you a free sticker. And please check out the other great podcasts on the Murderly Network when you have some time and show them some love. You can find all of us at murder.ly on the interwebs. If you would like to be a real baller and financially support the show, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge. Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month and a shout-out on the show. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Kirsten, our baller, yo, Bender, Bonnie, Bridget, Caroline, Chelsea, Christina, Cooper, Corina, Corey, Donald, Dylan, Belfast Grace, Harleen Hunter. Who? Hold on. Yeah, I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to to Hunter. 
and yes, Hunter his podcast, and Haley. Hunter and Haley on mur- uh, murder and such. Yes, uh, they're from Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. and um, they, they've actually taken hiatus on their podcast. Uh, apparently, Haley was in that bar when uh, that horrible event took place. Yes, when the so. Dayton shooting took place. I know Haley is a bartender. I'm not sure if that is the bar that she was working at or if she was just there as a patron. But our thoughts are with them right now. I know it's got to be a lot to take in. So. And take all the time you need. Exactly. There's no rush. Yeah. So, big love to you guys. We love you guys. <laughs> so, yes, of course, Hunter... Jennifer, Kate, Christy, Kristen, Lady Danger, Marie Maxime, Molly, Monica, Sue, Vanessa, and Veronica. You awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. And kisses. And you can now make a one-time donation in the amount of your choosing via our PayPal link on our website, martinisandthemacabre.com, near the bottom of the homepage. Visit our website, martinisandthemacabre.com, to learn a little bit about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or to listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. Keep listening because another one will be at the end of this episode. And he told me he's got 15 or 16 tracks that he hasn't put on an actual album release that he may be sending me soon. So may have some new music for you guys for that. Be sure to find both of his albums, Views, and his new release, Bog, on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers There's also a link for Bog at the top of our website that will connect you with multiple platforms. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.
It's not like they beat someone to death and tried it themselves. And then... <laughs> <laughs> who, shor- who drew the short straw? Oi, Philip, oh. stand still. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.